Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Each week, we'll be talking with real people with real stories about things they have not said or done or have said or done in their workplace that required bravery. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Ed Everts, and I'm the founder and president of Excellius Leadership Development. Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. I hope you'll listen to our past podcast conversations, and if you'd like to hear past episodes, go to BeBraveAtWork.com, subscribe to our podcasts, and learn some valuable lessons about bravery at work. My new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Success, is now available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and any online book retailer you prefer. Check out Drive Your Career today. Our podcast today is sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies. Based in Woburn, Massachusetts, Cabot Risk Strategies has created innovative and customized insurance strategies for individuals and families, businesses, nonprofits, commercial real estate, and public entities. Cabot's client base continues to expand both within the region and within the markets they serve. And if you are looking for customized insurance services and solutions, contact Cabot at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. As an executive coach, consultant, facilitator, and professor, Meredith Persili specializes in the leadership challenges of complex global organizations, including technology, healthcare, financial services, and government. Leaders call on Meredith to challenge their management teams, facilitate the development of their vision and strategic goals, and instigate transformation. And there goes a fire truck right by my window. Meredith is also the co-author of Six Path to Leadership, Lessons from Successful Executives, Politicians, Entrepreneurs, and more. A keen observer and trusted advisor, Meredith helps her global C-suite coaching client break through the clutter, get clear about the real issues at hand, find their purpose, and take risks so that they can play in an even bigger arena. She has developed leadership programs in 17 countries across five continents, and in 38 states, as well as the District of Columbia. Meredith, we are so thrilled to have you today on Be Brave at Work. Thanks so much for having me. So I gave kind of a light bio-ish type overview of your background, and I think our listeners would love to hear a little bit more from you about what you have done and what you are currently doing in the marketplace. Great. Yeah, so I'm based here in Washington, D.C., and and see a lot of my work as, again, executive coach and and professor and facilitator, um, really at that intersection of the public and the private sector. So, you know, while my education is is MBA, more corporate focused, by being based here in Washington, I also have the opportunity to work quite a bit with government and advocacy groups, and really looking and looking at leadership and working with leaders across these different sectors. And I'll just put in a, a quick note about the book, because the inspiration really behind the book was that, you know, even though there's fabulous uh, leadership literature and research out there, and we will sometimes see a focus on the difference between leading in the public or the private sector. What became clear to me as I was working across sectors with all different types of leaders was that the way that one comes into a leadership position 
matters more than that particular industry, and that a lot of the advice that we were giving leaders across across sectors didn't apply universally. But again, it wasn't the sector difference that mattered most. It was how that person came into that leadership position. And so we then defined these six different paths into leadership positions, elected, appointed, promoted from within, hired from the outside, family legacy, as well as founders or creators. And I have helped design and coach leaders and leadership programs and leaders as they onboard into their new positions. And I can guarantee you, someone promoted into a a C-suite from a corporation compared to the orientations that we do for new members of Congress need to be very, very different because how they need to think about those first 90 days is going to vary based on these different paths. Well, I love this topic, and I hope we'll spend our time thinking about the impact that transition has on you as a leader. I know some of the courses you teach at school have to do with moving and transforming from manager to leader, and you've identified in your book six ways or six paths to leadership, which I think all, to your point, have different types of uh, transitions happening in order to help them be successful. And if you could talk a little bit, maybe, Meredith, just to start our conversation, you know, if you're looking as as someone who's going from either being an individual contributor to a manager of a team or a group of people, or from being a manager of a group of people to now a leader of a group of teams, you know, what are some ways or behaviors associated potentially even with bravery that we need to think about that folks should be more aware of? That's such a great question. And and you're absolutely right. You know, there's different types of bravery that is going to be required. You know, certainly as an individual contributor, I think there's bravery in learning new skills and asking for help to make sure that you can contribute in a in a confident and compelling way as we move up into manager. And this this goes for the entire path of being promoted from within we have the challenge of leading former peers. And how do you exhibit bravery in changing those relationships, right? So the same person who is at your side complaining about the boss, you are now managing that person. And so, you know, the bravery required to you know, have those real conversations and to start to give feedback to people that you considered friends. And and you still might be able to manage that balance of manager and friendship, but likely something is going to change. You know, again, the transition that I'm most interested in is going to be that manager to leader. And, you know, I've been talking about this quite a bit lately because I think, you know, these these last very challenging years for leaders have made, you know, if we were to ask what was prior to COVID, if I were to ask you, you know, if I were to pick one word or one skill that defines leadership, most people would talk about influence. Everyone was talking about, you know, you know, more matrix organizations and flatter organizations and that need to be able to influence across. Now, if we look for one area that really defines leadership, what I'm hearing and seeing and supporting is that ability to take risks, to look ahead and to lead change. It's all about leading change because the organizations that have really excelled in the past few years are those who had leaders that were willing to and able to look ahead, make some tough calls, and 
you know, articulate the vulnerabilities around the known and the unknown and then bring people along when we didn't have all of the information and we were getting surprised all the time. That ability to lead change takes an incredible amount of bravery. Well, and I'm not surprised to hear that, Meredith. So I'm thrilled that you have mentioned that because I think most of us in corporate America, and I spent 25 years working for organizations, noticed that change happened more frequently and more unexpectedly than ever before. There was a time I think in corporate America, at least, where organizations didn't change, that IBM was so good at what they did, they didn't think about doing anything differently. And today, if you're doing the same thing you were doing a year ago or two years ago, and the time frame keeps getting tighter, you're potentially at risk of getting put out of business like Blockbuster, right? Blockbuster was this huge deliverer of videos, and then suddenly the market changes. They're not ahead of the curve. They're not thinking about change. They could have been Netflix, but they weren't, right? Somebody else came along and stole the market from them. So change does require bravery on a lot of fronts, right? When you think about the conversations you need to have, can you talk to us a little bit about maybe the impact of bravery as it relates to change and helping people move from you know one end of the trapeze to the other end without falling in the middle? Yeah. Well, you know, what's coming up for me also as you're talking is is not just the hard business decisions around bravery, but also, you know, the changes in culture, organizational culture, and, you know, what we're seeing through the great resignation and and also that ability to attract and retain great talent as, you know, the talent war is at is at a real high. And so, you know, that bravery that is needed to think about your culture and to try different things, um, both internally and externally, is absolutely required. I would say one of the things on the business side that I've been most impressed with, and this is with the leader I'm working with right now, is when this leader needs to make a hard decision, the leader says, look, you know, I need your feedback. I want to hear what all of you think. This is how I'm thinking about it. Really bats around those ideas, shows what they know again and what they don't know. And then they say, this is the this is what we're going to do. And it's on me. Right. And that ability to make the decision and to own that decision if that's not leadership, I don't know what is, right? <laughs> well, and this ability on that person's part, which is a characteristic that I have not seen as much as I would like to, of admitting you don't know things. You know, we've talked about on the podcast in the past, this belief, especially in American culture, that the more senior you are, the more people think you know, right? So the president of the company, people believe, knows everything. And if you were to tell that to the president, he or she would probably laugh and say, this is so far from the truth. I know very little about marketing or I know very little about sales. In fact, I was speaking to a former colleague of mine, not a client, yesterday who is leading the sales organization of a fairly large technology entity. And he was telling me that he has never sold anything in his life. And yet he is head of sales of it. And it's because more of the characteristics that you're describing associated with conflict navigation, breaking through barriers that might exist with others, right? Helping people be more successful and taking brave steps in conversations and behaviors rather than being a technical expert in the, you know, the five steps of a successful sales call or the five successes of a marketing. So this ability to say, I don't know, I think takes bravery. What do you think? 
A hundred percent. You know, knowing what you know, knowing what you don't know, being able to admit that, and then to bring in the people and to ask them for help, right? You know, Brene Brown certainly has brought in you know, has really mainstreamed this idea of vulnerability. Um, and, and part of that vulnerability is that ability to, to know when you're not necessarily out of your league, but just, you know, out of your area of expertise. And I couldn't agree with you more as the further up you get, the less you need to know, right? The less you <laughs> should know. Because if you're focused on, you know, reading the details of that spreadsheet, you know, there's probably a trust issue at some point with the people that you're asking to help lead the organization. Absolutely. That's why we have employees is because they're supposed to be doing something. And if you're doing it instead of them, there is probably some type of challenge. And yet, so, you know, this idea of vulnerability, you know, from my perspective, seems to always be in conflict with competence, that people believe that if they acknowledge they don't know something or it's not their strong suit or they're not really good in that area, that people are not going to think that they're competent. And it's so hard for leaders to acknowledge that, you know, that's not my sweet spot. I don't know enough about that. I need you here today to tell us what we need to know in order to make it stronger. So I don't don't know if you would agree or not, but it just seems to be this self-created conflict between vulnerability and people's perception of your competence. Absolutely. Let's go back to this peer to manager. And I'd like to drill down on that just for a minute, uh, Meredith, because oftentimes, and I know many of our listeners were former peers of other people. So we spent several years together. And just for purposes of our story, let's pretend that we're friends and we've gone out to dinner and we've gone out for drinks and our spouses know each other. Maybe even we've gone away for a weekend someplace. So we are friends. And then suddenly I get promoted. And if you want to add drama to it, we might have both interviewed and I got picked and you didn't. And let's assume the company handled it very professionally. The role has now changed, right? It's no longer two peers together and I'm now the manager and the expectations and beliefs that come to me from above are different. So, you know, what are some thoughts or observations you might have, especially as it pertains to bravery, that people should think about if they are transitioning from a peer to a manager now managing people who are friends? Yeah. I'm sure this happens all the time. All the time. Yeah, it's definitely among the paths that we explore, you know, the most common, the most common path into a leadership position. You know, I think there are a few places where, you know, both strategy and also bravery (laughs) come into play. So like you said, there's, there's that transition about that relationship in particular. And so just being intentional about the relationship and knowing what's, what can stay the same and what's going to be different. And you know, not only do you as that manager need to think about, you know, who are your new stakeholders and and what are the relationships that you need to be developing across, right? You've got a whole new peer set that you need to be thinking about. But what is that going to mean in terms of the habits, in terms of involvement, communication that you had at that lower level and how they're going to need to change? You know, that's one of the challenges of being promoted from within is that the system, the inertia of the system is going to keep you in that old role. You know, so if someone used to ask you for feedback on something all the time at that level, now they need to ask your replacement, 
but they might still want to come to you. And you might enjoy those conversations and you might enjoy that people want your opinion about something. And so it takes a lot of discipline to say, you know what? even though I could answer that question, that's not how I should be using my time. And oh, by the way, there's somebody else that you need to be developing a relationship with. And so passing off, right? Passing off those former responsibilities, those former relationships, but where the bravery comes in is then developing the new stuff, right? So what are your new habits that you need to try out and experiment with? Um, And then what are those new relationships you need to develop? And especially when you're promoted from within, you know, people, it needs to be you. You need to take that initiative to figure out who are the new people that I need to be talking to. In our book, we profiled someone who went from the C-suite to CEO position. And when he was, C- was, he was in the C-suite, his position was like 90% internal, maybe 10% customer. Once he moved into the CEO position, he was like 80% external between the board of directors. It was not. It was a publicly traded company between between you know the market, um, the board, as well as customers. He was mostly externally facing, and you know he really had to renegotiate those former peer relationships. Like I'm just not going to be able to give you that amount of time. Um, and those are tough conversations to have, especially because they're people that you probably have worked with for 10, 20, sometimes even more. So I think that that. That's really important. The other thing I wanted to mention about that promoted path, though, so in addition to managing those former peers, one of the other biggest challenge, one of the other big challenges of the promoted path is if you want to be brave, if you want to run things differently than your predecessor, usually, not always, or or many times when you get promoted, it's not because your boss left the organization, it's because your boss also got promoted. Right. And so the whole line kind of moves up. Well, maybe there was something that your former boss or your actually your current boss, but had been your had been your former position holder. Right. Um, Did that you didn't like and you want to do it differently. But now you have to tell your (laughs) boss that the way he or she was doing it before isn't the way you want to do that. Right. And so a lot of times the reason why we bring in people from the outside is it's actually easier for them to be change agents because they don't have those former relationships and that history. And so, I mean, doesn't don't you think that takes a lot of bravery to basically say, you know, you did a great job. I appreciate the support that you've given to my career and pull me up. But now I I want to do things differently than you the way you did it. How do you negotiate that, right? Without that person taking it personally and, you know, doing it in a way that that feels right. Well, I love that story and that example, Meredith, because again, I think that happens all the time that my boss gets promoted and I get promoted into my boss's position. I have never met anyone who wants to continue to do the job that their predecessor did. And oftentimes if they leave the company, you know, they inherit, you know, the proverbial bag of rocks, like all these issues and problems that nobody knew about. And there were commitments that were made that shouldn't have been made. And, you know, my boss said I was going to get promoted this year, make a lot more money. And I'm like, well, I don't know anything about that. Right. So, you know, they typically inherit it. But I think a good boss's boss who was in that role would say to that person, I want it to be what you want it to be. I don't want you to be another me. And I certainly believe there are certain things that we did really well, but times continue to change and the market continues to change. And you do need to look at things a little bit differently. So don't feel obligated. You know, you should certainly should be polite if we're going to change something I had instig- instigated and I should know it, right? Be polite about it, but don't 
feel obligated just to do things the way I did it because I'm now sitting, you know, a little further up the hall than you. But, you know, again, Meredith, I think this happens all the time. I think people get promoted from peer to manager and now have to deal with modifications to their relationship. I think people get promoted into their boss's role and their boss is still there. And that impacts them in ways that they hadn't even thought about or considered. I mean, these things happen all the time. And I suspect if people look at your book, Six Paths to Leadership, there are lots of answers and recommendations and suggestions on things that you can do to help you be more successful. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, the final piece on that promoted path that I would say where there's, where there's courage that's needed. And, and actually this kind of goes across all of the paths now that I think about it, but, but I think we, we write about it a little bit more in that promoted path. You know, when you are new into a leadership position, you tend to be very focused on what other people think of you, right? You might feel like you're in the fishbowl, everyone's watching, and a lot of times they are, by the way. <laughs> but especially when you're promoted from within, what do you think the, the main question you know, your team is asking about you? I don't know. What is the mystery question? Well, it often is, is this person going to be good for my career or bad for my career? Right. Should I stick around, especially, you know, in your scenario where I'm now working for you? (laughs) Right. Do I want to work for this guy? Right. And the best way that, you know, new leaders can um, make people want to stick around is to let them know how important they are to them and their success and to help them understand that for them to be successful, they're going to need these individuals supporting them and coming along with them, right? Which again, goes back to this bravery and vulnerability, because it's basically saying, look, this, this is my vision for this team or this organization. And you are essential to that. You know, what do I need to do to keep you excited, interested and growing? along the way, right? So in our book, we actually make the suggestion to start building out development plans and having those career discussions right away. So you know, again, that's the last thing on your mind, right? You're just trying to learn the new job and figure out what you want to do and what your priorities are. But in those first conversations with your team, how can I help you? What do you want from me? And what do I need to do to keep you engaged? Now, we also have to make some tough decisions about which team members we might not want on our team and how do we handle that as well. And we have a tool for that too. But certainly for those who are going to be essential for your success, you need to show them how important they are to you. Well, I think that's a fantastic suggestion as we end our podcast, Meredith, which is to meet with people, especially when you go from a peer group to a manager. And I'm a big fan of meeting one-on-one, especially early days to set context, but meet with them one-on-one to talk about their career, even potentially our relationship in the past and now how it needs to evolve. So you're being very clear that if I was 90% internal and 10% external, that that's no longer the case. And it requires both of us to modify. You can't keep coming to me as you did in the past because I can't do that any longer, right? Even if I wanted to. I can't because of the requirements being asked of me. So meeting with folks to talk about their career, their career development, so they can feel good that things aren't going to be disrupted technically, I think would be greatly advantaged. So Meredith, thank you so much for being on our podcast today. Your book that you co-authored, Six Path to Leadership, 
Lessons from Successful Executives, Politicians, Entrepreneurs, and more is available everywhere. And we really appreciate you being a guest today. Thanks so much. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us today. And we hope you join us on our next podcast conversation as we further explore being brave at work. We also remind you to subscribe to our podcast at bebraveatwork.com and or download and listen to our podcast on multiple online platforms. We are everywhere. Our podcast today was sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies, whom you can reach at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at capitrisk.com. And a reminder to check out my new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Own Success, which is available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio everywhere online. Do you have something to say, yet are not saying it? Do you have something to do, yet are not doing it? Now is the time to be brave at work. Have a great week.